Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome into another week of Full Core Press with Fanta and Adams. We are bringing you a jam-packed episode today. We will start off by being joined by the head coach of the hottest team in the nation right now, Greg McDermott of the Creighton Blue Jays. They have won nine of their last 10 games, and they have done a lot of their work on the road. And in each of those games, uh, we had to sustain a run that got the home crowd back into the game, and, and we had to try to fight them off. And uh, you know, to our guys' credit, they've been able to do that. We'll also dive into a wild weekend on both the men's and women's sides that saw tons of upsets, and we will debate whether or not San Diego State is worthy of staying on that one line after their first loss of the season. You know, you're allowed to lose in this sport. I know that people don't want to hear that. Plus, for our buzzer beater this week, we'll take an early trip down to Atlanta, the home of the men's basketball Final Four this April. Kim was there for some women's hoops this past weekend. And could our listeners provide her with some chips, salsa, queso? Because ATL was lacking them. The waiter comes back. I'm sorry, but we're out of queso and we're out of chips. We, <laughs> we're at a Mexican restaurant and they're out of queso and out of chips. Oh, come on. That's terrible. <laughs> Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Full Court Press has the latest news and opinions from men's and women's college basketball. Our hosts are John Fanta, who calls games all around the country for Fox Sports and others, and Kim Adams, an analyst for Fox and ESPN, and a former D1 baller who never saw a three-point opportunity she didn't like. If you don't believe me, check her Twitter page. Take it away, guys. His Creighton Blue Jays are as hot as any team in all of college basketball. They've won nine of their last 10, 22 and 6 on the season. It's the Blue Jays head coach Greg McDermott joining us on Full Court Press. And Greg, thanks for taking the time. Your team taking off, winning nine of their last 10. What's been the biggest difference for this Creighton team to roll? Well, John, we've been we've been really consistent. And I think that's uh, that's what you have to do in this league, as good as this league is uh, this season. And uh, you know, defensively, we've made good strides. Um, I think, especially since we've added Denzel Mahoney to the lineup, we've gradually improved defensively. And then offensively, I'm just I'm blessed to coach a bunch of unselfish guys. I mean, you've got two guys in Mitch Ballack and Tyshawn Alexander, who between them in conference play have 92 assists and only 27, 28 turnovers. So when you have your two wings that are willing passers like that to go with a guy like Marcus Zagorowski at the point who does a great job scoring the ball and sharing the basketball, uh, it's a recipe for success. So I'm proud of the guys so far, but obviously our job is, is far from done. Greg, stylistically, it's interesting. Talking to people around your program, the offensive style, this high-octane perimeter scoring, that wasn't always your approach. I had heard a story about how you were in – 
the postseason CBI at Creighton and then really just open things up at one point. Can you talk a little bit about that adjustment and just the evolution of the way that you've coached the game? Yeah, you know, I was I, I controlled the game a lot more when I was coaching at Northern Iowa and Iowa State. Um, and, you know, part of it is dictated by your personnel, certainly. Uh, but uh, that first year at Creighton, uh, we had, I, I believe, a 10-day break between the end of the conference tournament and the start of the, the, the CBI, because uh, at that time the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament was was a week early. I guess it still is. But uh, So there was a long break, and to try to keep guys motivated, we had five seniors on that team, and to try to keep guys motivated in practice, we just decided, you know, let's make this like an NBA seven-game series over the course of the next week, and we'll play some of the red shirts and the young guys that was Doug and and Doug's freshman year and and uh, you know Grant Gibbs was a red shirt that year uh, and just have a have a series and we we decided with the, with that younger group uh, that we would play fast and open it up. And we really liked what we saw, and it really fit the personnel of that group. Uh, so we we kind of rolled we kind of rolled with it in uh, in in the CBI that year, and and had some moderate success with it, and have stuck with it ever since. So you spoke you've spoken highly about several of your players. One of them you haven't even mentioned yet is Christian Bishop, and he's coming off a monster game at against Butler. He did just about everything for you guys. Just what did you see when recruiting him that really intrigued you that this this guy may be something special and and what can the fans and and the members of the media not see with what he's done behind the scenes to develop at the rate he is right now? Well, I think when Christian was a freshman in high school, he was five foot seven. Uh, so he grew a foot over the course of his high school career, and actually, as a freshman and sophomore, played the point guard a lot. So he grew up with the basketball in his hands, and then grew to six seven, six eight. And you know, we recruited him to play on the wing, but obviously, with our situation uh, with Martin Crample staying in the draft and, and opting to play overseas, and, and Jacob Eberson getting hurt, uh, you know, we had to move him kind of that, to that perimeter five for us. And uh, you know, his his growth from the start of the conference season until where we are today is a, is a big reason that our offense is clicking the way it is. Uh, he's really become comfortable uh, at that top of the key area making decisions with the basketball. Uh, you know, he can drive it. He's a good passer. And, you know, when you have your center that has 25 assists and 22 turnovers, yesterday had five assists to one turnover, um, you know, good things are going to happen when you have guys around him that can score the basketball. But, you know, Christian is he's the catalyst of our defense. Your defense starts with how you can cover a ball screen and he allows us to be uh, very aggressive if we need to be, and uh, he can follow a plan extremely well. So uh, I think he's only scratched the surface of of where he's going to go as a player, but he's certainly been a a huge part of what we're doing this season. Absolutely, and a lot of this recent incredible run that you're on, a lot of the damage has been on the road. Wins at Marquette, at Seton Hall, at Villanova. Just how would you describe the mentality that this group has had uh, to to weather the storm and to be so dominant on the road. You know, Kim. Last year, we we went through a, game, a stretch about this time of year, maybe a little bit. Started probably in mid February, where we lost four straight games, and in those four games, we led in each of them in the last five minutes, and and just found a you know a ton of ways to lose games last year. And I th- I think if you approach that right, 
and 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 you experience growth because of those experiences, I think it helps you somewhere down the road. And I, I think that's been the case with this team. You know, Tyshawn and Mitch were sophomores last year. Marcus was a freshman. Um, you know, so we did have Davion Mintz, who had more experience last year, who's obviously out with an injury this year. So we were a relatively young team, uh, especially in the guard court last year. And I think we learned a lot along the way. And I think that those experiences have really helped us in tough moments because you're not going to go on the road to, to Villanova and Marquette and Seton Hall and win without them making a run. And in each of those games, uh, we had to sustain a run that got the home crowd back into the game, and, and we had to try to fight them off. And, uh, you know, to our guys' credit, they've been able to do that. Creighton head coach Greg McDermott is our guest. And, Greg, at 11-4 and four in the Big East, you're one game off the pace of Seton Hall, who you have that win over at the Prudential Center. And the schedule makers – they knew what they were doing in setting up a, a potential regular season title game in this conference. There's still a lot of basketball to be played, but between you and Seton Hall in Omaha on the final Saturday of the season, how do you balance that idea of it's only human nature to look at the standings and, and look at what's on the line uh, with embracing it as opposed to letting it become too much uh, part of your mental process? Well, we'll 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 worry about embracing it if if there's meaning to it when the time comes. Uh, you know, obviously we're we're tied with Villanova and we're a game back at Seton Hall, and you know we we've recognized and talked all season long about how good this league is. And if you if you cheat your preparation, you're going to get beat. It doesn't matter who you play. And obviously, going to St. John's is going to be a, a very difficult game for us next weekend. Uh, and then Georgetown's a team that that beat us in in D.C. early in the year, and they come here before we play Seton. Hall. So every one of these games is really, really important uh, for a lot of reasons. Number one, we're, we're still trying to keep ourselves in there for, for a conference title. But for seeding in the Big East tournament, seeding in the NCAA tournament, these are very, very important games. And, you know, we'll, we'll maintain the one-day-at-a-time approach that has gotten us to where we are today. Coach, this program was making the NCAA tournament when they were in the Missouri Valley. You've gone, I believe, 20 of the last 22 or so as a program and now in the Big East, of course, things have been elevated with just the level of competition. You're talking about six, maybe seven bids. But what's your take, because you've been a part of it both, on just that, that whole idea of power conference teams finding their way into the NCAA tournament as a result of the tough scheduling, as opposed to that mid-major who, of course, they control their non-conference, but they can't totally control their league slate. Just where do you fall on that idea? Well, I mean, it, it's difficult for bid majors. Let's be honest, and and you know, you you say they control their non-conference schedule, but in reality, they don't. Uh, a lot of good majors would love to play home and homes with teams in the power power five and and our league, and and you know, that's not wise scheduling on our part because of the difficulty of the leagues that we play in and especially the leagues that have gone to 20 league games and we're going to join them next year. So, you know, it's Ben Jacobson at Northern Iowa is one of my best friends, but you know, there's no way in heck I'm going to play him, him <laughs> home and home. So, you know, that, that's great for him. It doesn't really do me a lot of good. So, you know, that, that's the challenge you have there. And, the, you know, there's a lot of pressure uh, if you're in Northern Iowa right now and you're having a great year at 22 or 23 and four or whatever they are, uh, and every game you feel like is a play-in game to the NCAA tournament because you just can't afford to lose, that's, that's pressure. And, you know, obviously we have a number of opportunities for quality wins in our league and there really aren't many opportunities for a bad loss because the league is so good. And, 
that's why it's important to have a conference that's that's sound from top to bottom. Uh, and and our league certainly has has been that this year with our play in the non non conference portion of our schedule. But it's a uh, it, it's a grind. There's no question. And and you hope that the grind that you go through day in and day out and playing quality team after quality team after quality team prepares you for what's going to happen in March. Coach, who are some of your biggest coaching influences, whether coaches you played for, coaches you've coached under, uh, any advice that, that still continues or words of wisdom that still continue to ring true in this really successful season? Yeah, you know, Kim, I think you learn from everybody that was part of your life. And, and certainly, you know, my high school coach, Al Marshall, and my college coach, uh, the late Jim Barry, and then Eldon Miller, who I played for my last two years at Northern Iowa. And I worked for Rich Glass uh, at the University of North Dakota as my, in my first coaching job in the, in the early 90s. And, you know, you take parts of each one of them and you develop your own philosophy. You can't you know, you really can't try to be somebody else. You have to take the things that make them good and, and try to uh, add that to who you are and try to make a better version of yourself. And, and I'll be honest, Kim, I, I've, I've got a lot, I've had a lot of great assistant coaches work for me. Many of them are, are head coaches now, Ben Jacobson at Northern Iowa, Darren DeVries at Drake, uh, TJ Altsenberger at, at UNLV, uh, Jean Prelo at San Jose State, Eric Anderson at South Dakota State. There's a bunch of them, and I'm, I know I'm forgetting a couple. Uh, but you learn from all of those guys because there's a reason that they've gone on to become head coaches. They get it. They've learned, they work, uh, they, they add a lot to, to your program when they're working for you. So, you know, I learn from my staff every day here. So I just think you have to, you know, check your ego at the door and understand there's a lot of ways to be successful uh, as a basketball coach. And if you're not constantly learning and growing, then you're, you're making a mistake. Sure. And uh, just to go off the court a little bit, I think it's known that you are, you're a big fan of golf. You're out there all the time. Uh, first, well, not all the time in the off season, of course. Um, uh, but first I did hear some rumblings that you have hit a hole in one. Is that, is that true? I've had a couple over the course oh, of my career. Couple. That takes, that takes a little bit of luck. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I do like to play golf. It, it is my release. It's a way to kind of put the phone away for, for four hours and, uh, uh, and, and get away from everything. So I, I really enjoy it. Unfortunately, it's, uh, Omaha in the wintertime. There's not, there's not a lot of opportunities to go hit some golf balls, but, uh, that time will come in the spring. Do you have a, uh, top three courses you've played? Cypress Point, uh, for sure, uh, is is the maybe the best one I've ever played. Been fortunate. I haven't been on Augusta yet. Uh, I have played uh, Pine Valley, which is certainly right there uh, as well. And uh, Pebble Beach would probably fall into that. So I've been blessed that we have we have some friends in high places that have allowed me to play some pretty good golf courses. All right, how's Doug at golf? He's good. Uh, when when he decides to play uh, a bunch, my oldest son Nick is a scratch golfer. He's really good, and and Doug and I are similar. Uh, he's got more ability. I can still get between his ears a little bit uh, when we get on the golf course. So uh, we we have a good time. It's a fun way to spend some family time. I know that uh, you and your family have such a close bond, uh, but I have to bring up something that I just find. Well, look, it's it's a sign of preparation at times. It's a sign of whatever you may call it. I know I know that you and Doug have jokes and whatnot, but uh, I just find it fascinating sometimes, Greg. And I wanted to get your feeling on it. Nobody should ever be calling you Doug McDermott when they're saying the Creighton head coach. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. 
I've been called a lot worse things, John, uh, and and I and I will continue to be. Like I've joked before, I said if I could get his paycheck twice a month, I'd be happy to be Doug McDermott uh, because he's he's doing really well uh, with the Pacers. But uh, uh, that that doesn't bother me a bit. It happens, and uh, you know Doug was one of those guys that had that had such a unbelievable college career that. When somebody said Doug, everybody knew who they were talking about. So, uh, you know, I'm certainly proud of what he's accomplished, uh, both as a collegiate player and now what he's doing in the NBA. You've long said that you wish uh, that other coaches got the opportunity that you got to, uh, to not only be the parent of an All-American National Player of the Year, uh, but also be his head coach. I'm curious, in the current culture of the sport, Greg, where recruiting is, where transfers are at an all-time high and are only going to increase, all signs are pointing to that, what would be your advice to a parent? Well, I mean, you, you have to find a place that, that you fit. And, and you know, there has to be a level of trust that's developed there. And, and you know, there, there's a lot of things you, you have to evaluate. There's a, there's a system fit, obviously. There's a personality fit with the coaching staff that's really, really important. Um, and, you know, then you got to go work. And it's, it's not always easy. And certainly, you know, Doug had some bumps in the road when he was a young player, uh, both in high school and early in his college career that you had to fight through. And, and, you know, you always have to try to think about, okay, how can I get better? And, you know, one of the decisions that Doug made that I think at the time, a lot of people probably thought he made a mistake was when he decided to come back to Creighton for a senior year, uh, instead of going to the NBA, he would have been a first round draft pick as a junior. Uh, but Doug really felt like, you know, there's things I want to get better at before I, I hit that stage. I want to make sure I'm prepared. And, you know, that's a process and that takes time. And with every player, it takes a little bit longer. So uh, you have to have the foresight to understand that, you know, I'm, I'm not complete. I, there is more to learn. And, you know, that can be difficult in this day and age. Everybody wants it right now. And, and sometimes it, the right now just doesn't happen. It's a process that needs to take place of development and hard work. And, you know, we've got examples of that ac across our program. And, and, you know, as you see Christian Bishop from last year to this year, Damian Jefferson's development during the time of this program and what he's doing for us now. You know, Mark Tyler Tyshawn Alexander's jump from his freshman year to his sophomore year. And now Marcus Zigorowski's done the same thing. So it, it just takes time and it takes work. And you, you have to have a level of patience. Uh, but there has to be a work ethic that goes with it. Coach, just to go big picture NCAA a little bit, here you guys were able to face San Diego State back of the season end of November out in Vegas I know they just they did just drop their first game of the season but just just from your perspective of of playing against that team can you give us some insight as to why they're such a tough matchup and why they've been able to have such success this season well, Kim, they were terrific tonight. We played them. And, you know, we were without Denzel Mahoney at that time, uh, so we certainly weren't at full strength. But uh, to be honest, I don't think it would have mattered. Uh, it was one of those games where they were they were so efficient on both ends of the floor. And, you know, Malachi Flynn is a young man we recruited when he, when he transferred from Washington State, and so I knew all about him. But he's, you know, he's a magician with the ball in his hands. He makes the right reads. He can score it a lot of ways. And they've got pieces all the way all around him. I think they're 
you know, people talk about their offense. I think their defense is really, really good. I think uh, they're very disciplined in, in what they do. Dutch has done a terrific job. They have some protection at the rim once you, if you break the first line of their defense, which is difficult to do. Uh, so, you know, they're, they, you know, in my mind, they probably haven't gotten the credit they deserve because, you know, this t- to go undefeated uh, as long as they did, I don't care what league you're in, you know, you're playing teams that are familiar with your style, that understand your personnel better than the teams you play in the non-conference. And they, you know, they rolled through that until, you know, UNLV got them the other day. So um, that's a team that's going to make a lot of noise in the NCAA tournament. There's no question in my mind. Mm-hmm. And just just finishing up here, we do have a few questions that came in via Twitter. We know the Jays fans are very passionate on Twitter. Um, so just a couple for you here. This one is from at JB Davis 2. He's asking, did you notice anything in the preseason or the non-conference that made you think the current run that you're on right now would be possible? Well, you know, I'll, I'll go back. You know, I've t- I told some people close to me, uh, you know, during the first five games of the conference season, I think we were two and three. And, you know, we won, we beat Marquette to open, we lost at Butler. That was a four point game with about five minutes to go, and they got away from us at the end. And then we really let one get away at home against a really good Villanova team. We led for 36 minutes, and, and like Villanova does, they made their run, and then we didn't react to it the way I thought we should have. We win at Xavier, but then we lose a close one at Georgetown. And I, I remember telling some people close to me that we are so close. We are so close. It's just a matter of we just have to do things a little bit better. And I, I feel like we're knocking at the door and we're close to kicking it in. And, and uh, I guess I was a prophet at that time because, you know, we've played really good basketball since then. Uh, but, you know, you know what your team's doing on a daily basis in practice. You know they're making progress. And you know where your weaknesses are and, and where you have to t- try to shore those up. So I felt like we were close uh, early in the conference season when we started two and three. And, and obviously we played really good basketball since. Our second Twitter question is from Chris Kestel at C. Kestel. He says, how is the week off going to affect this amazing heater the team is on? I know it will be good for rest, but when you are this hot, it almost feels like you don't want this to stop. Well, you know, we had quite a break. We we played Marquette on Tuesday, then we didn't play again Sunday. So we right. we had to deal with a mini break uh, that maybe throws your week out of out of pattern somewhat. But the reality of it is, is you know, we've we were a little bit beat up. Mitch Ballack got his his broken nose fixed last Wednesday. I think he I think he's going to need it fixed again this week because uh, he took a shot to the face uh, yesterday. And uh, Marcus Sigurowski's a little sore, and and we're dealing with some other things. So um, you know, we'll 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 plan the week accordingly and and to be honest you know we can use our midweek practice on Wednesday uh, to really work on ourselves and at this time of the season you don't really get an opportunity to do that very much so uh, we're going to be off today we'll do some skill workout to skill work tomorrow which you also seems to get lost in the in the picture this time of year uh, and then Wednesday we'll get after it but we'll work on our stuff and then we'll turn our attention uh, to St. John's on Friday and Saturday but um, I think it comes at a, at a good time in the season for us and uh, you know hopefully we can we can maximize this week and, and make sure we're a little bit better when we come out of it. Greg McDermott the head coach of the now this is in perfect timing the AP knew we were doing this interview they're ranked 10th in the country their highest ranking since January 16th 2017, the Blue Jays in the top 10 in the nation. Creighton head coach Greg McDermott leading the way. Greg, thanks so much. Always great to catch up with you guys. Have a great day.
Thanks to Creighton head coach Greg McDermott for joining us on the Full Court Press. Just an all-around class act, a winner on the court and off. As we jump in here on the Full Court Press, we're going to go further west from Omaha, from the middle of the country to the wild, wild west. Kim, three teams projected on the one line in bracketologies going down on Saturday. An epic game between Kansas and Baylor highlighting it, and then you've got San Diego State and Gonzaga both going down. What did you make of this wild Saturday? Well, it was crazy. I mean, maybe the only reason why we didn't have four number one seeds go down is because two of them played each other in Baylor and Kansas. And for San Diego State, obviously that was their first loss of the season to a UNLV team who had had about a 500 record. So that was probably the most shocking one. And and you do have to think at some point, were they going to have to lose? But I don't think you would have expected to be to that team. So now I think, John, the biggest question this raises is I think Baylor and Kansas are, are safe as, as the two top teams overall right now. But what about Gonzaga and San Diego State with those losses? Do they get bumped from the one line? If they do, who moves up right now at the two line, you have Dayton, Maryland, Duke, and Florida state Louisville, just below. Do any of those teams have a case to replace Gonzaga or San Diego state right now at the number one? Well, I don't think it's Maryland because I just think with the way the big 10 has played out this season, we're going to see them end up falling at some point again, if not twice. And I just don't know how much uh, the Terps deserve that one line. Here's the thing, Kim. Dayton is 25-2. and two. The Atlantic 10, they may have hurt themselves recently. They did not have a good Saturday in terms of NCAA tournament bids. But you've got VCU, you've got Richmond, you've got St. Louis. There's some teams of, of better caliber than what you find San Diego State's facing. At what point are we going to give the 25-2 and two Flyers some due credit? I think you're absolutely right, John. I mean, at 25-2, and two, they're untouched in the conference 14 and 0 and they have two good losses if you were to categorize losses two overtime losses one to Kansas who's obviously the overall number one team in the country right now and one to Colorado but the only question mark with them is what is their signature win aside from those two games the strength of schedule hasn't been great their net ranking says a, a neutral court win over St. Mary's is their top win right now and Unfortunately, they don't have opportunities in front of them every week like teams in the Big Ten, teams in the Big East do. We talked to Greg McDermott. He mentioned that, you know, every week they're playing one or two ranked teams on the road at home. Dayton just doesn't have those opportunities right now. And without a real signature win, can you make a case to put them on the one line ahead of teams like Duke, Florida State, or Louisville, but but John, those teams too, they have some bad losses as well. Uh, Duke, Stephen F. Austin way back early in the season, and then Louisville just dropping two games on the road to unranked opponents in the ACC. So I think there are a lot of things to consider. I think strength of schedule is going to be huge for the committee, um, but it's tough to to really measure Dayton because if they were playing teams in the ACC would they be beating them? Would would they be losing to some of these teams? It's just something, unfortunately, we can't, we'll never be able to measure. No, because here's the thing. If you're going to drop down, someone has to overtake you. Maryland had an opportunity Sunday at Ohio State. 
the Terrapins came up short. By the way, Buckeyes are a dark horse on the big dance floor. They're starting to play like the team that we saw early on this season. So then you've got Duke, who got blown out by NC State, and I can't ignore that. I have trouble ignoring it. I saw the Blue Devils put up a very poor showing. The way that the Aztecs, San Diego State, is vulnerable in this or is susceptible to losing that seed is if we see somebody from that ACC trio really overtake them and do it in convincing fashion. But, Kim, right now I'm not ready to say that Duke belongs on the one line. I'm certainly not ready to say Maryland belongs on it. So that's why I make the case if there's a team, it's got to be Dayton. But they they lack the wins that a San Diego State has. San Diego State blew away Creighton, who's in the top 10 this week, by 30 out in Las Vegas. Right, It was right around a 30-point game. It was not even close. And the Aztecs have other wins to show for it as well. So, you know, you're allowed to lose in this sport. I know that people don't want to hear that. But in a year full of parity, those are going to pile up. They're going to happen. I think one thing, though, that can be taken away from Saturday is I saw a lot of people saying, oh, in a year where we've been talking about how there's no great teams, Kansas and Baylor are showing us that they're that they're both great teams. Well, Baylor's been showing us that for the last two months and change. If you just learn that the Bears on Saturday are a great team, I don't understand. They're 24-2. and They've had an absolutely exceptional season. They fell short on Saturday, and Yudoka Azabuki, they have him to thank for. 23-19 and in that win. What a game. And I would sign up for that again in the Big 12 tournament and again even if we see it in the NCAA tournament down the road. But let's turn to another conference out west. The Pac-12 is straight wild. Regular season races going right down to the wire, and the UCLA Bruins have come out of nowhere from Mick Cronin. Well, it, it's it's really insane, John, when you think of all of the top conferences right now. I mean, pretty much every conference does not have a team out in front. All of these teams are bunched together, and the Pac-12 is no different. Right now, there are five top teams, all have between four and five losses. So there is a ton of jockeying going on in the standings right now. And two teams are exceptionally hot. ASU, Arizona State, they've now won seven in a row. And then Mick Cronin, you just mentioned him in his first year at UCLA, they have strung together five wins. And what do you know? Those two teams will face off in Los Angeles this Thursday, John. That's a big-time matchup. A big-time matchup at Pauley, which – we haven't talked about Polly Pavilion hosting a, a big matchup in some time, it seems like. One of this magnitude. UCLA not totally out of the equation yet for an NCAA tournament spot. They could end up in Dayton. They're still, I think, on the outside looking in. But with the way that this year's gone and with their recent play, you never know. One other thing that I think is is interesting that we don't talk enough about, speaking of Arizona State, they're 19-8 and eight overall. And that's not a necessarily easy job. Bobby Hurley has brought consistency to that program. They've never gone to three straight NCAA tournaments, and Kim, that's about to change. Credit to him for doing that job and, and really establishing consistency in that program. They were on the bubble, but they've certainly moved off it in my estimation. 
Absolutely. And they do have, they have a good opportunity in front of them to close out the season. Four games left. The next two will be the toughest. They're on the road at UCLA. They're on the road at USC. But after that, they finish out at home against two of two teams in the lower portion of the standings in Washington and Washington State. So you think, you know, if they can steal one of those two on the road, either at UCLA or at USC, and then be solid at home, those those are two winnable games. You have to think that, that this is a team that can continue to ride this hot streak and win the Pac-12. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of the Pac-12, in women's hoops, Pac-12 hoops has led storylines, but, Kim, there's plenty of parity in the sport of women's basketball as well. Sunday was maybe the craziest day that we have seen on either the men's or women's side, John. Sunday alone, there were seven top 25 teams who were upset by unranked teams. I'm going to pull up that list right now. Going down the list, you had number eight UCLA. They lost to Washington. Number nine Mississippi State loses to Alabama. Number 11, Arizona, gets smoked by Colorado. They only put up 38 points. In the Big East, Villanova shocks number 12, DePaul. We're going to get into some storylines in that one in a second. I was on the call for this one. Georgia Tech with a big win over number 17, Florida State. That win may put Georgia Tech in the tournament under first-year head coach Nell Fortner. Utah beats number 21 Arizona State, and Florida beats number 22 Arkansas. So seven top 25 teams not only lost, but lost to unranked teams. And, John, there's a really, really important storyline in that Villanova-DePaul win. That was at Finneran Pavilion and with our friend Harry Peretta in his last game at home. He is stepping down after 42 years and his last home game gets a huge upset win over number 12, DePaul. Shocking. The Blue Demons really struggled from three-point range. They've been a juggernaut. They've been the queens of the Big East for the last seven years. And it just goes to show you, in this sport, there's magic to it, folks. There, There is a magical feel across college basketball, especially this time of year. Harry Preda had over 60 of his former players from his four-plus decade run at Villanova on hand at the Finneran Pavilion. And people were saying going into the game, oh, it would have been nice for Villanova to host somebody that on paper you think that they could beat so that Harry could go out with a win. And the story from Mike Jensen of the Philadelphia Inquirer, he, he wrote it best, he said, or perhaps it would make it that much better of a story if Villanova took down the heavyweight champion. And that's exactly what they did. They wrote the latest chapter of The Legend of Peretta, which is not done yet. Villanova could trend towards the NIT and could host some games at the Finn. But what a remarkable victory. Uh, And class by Doug Bruno, who was a Hall of Fame finalist this year, did not get the bid, but is a legend in every respect of that word, has won over 700 games at DePaul, he brought his team back out after a blowout loss to Villanova, brought his team on the locker room to make sure that they watched Harry's farewell and all those different things that they did for him after the game. I was really impressed with that. That's a very classy move by DePaul. And all around, a great Sunday in Philadelphia, one that will be remembered for a long time by Villanova followers because Harry Peretta went out with a bang in his final regular season home game.
Absolutely. And, and yeah, I mean, him and Doug Bruno, two of the most legendary women's basketball coaches, a, an immense impact on the game for both of them. So just that was shocking. I had actually missed that as I was working a game and traveling yesterday and just couldn't believe when I saw that this morning, John. Um, but just back to a few of those upsets. So we mentioned the seven. Three of those games occurred in the Pac-12, which originally was a couple – couple more dogs in the fight it now UCLA is sliding a little bit and we really have two teams cemented at the top well number three ranked Oregon they are 14 and one in the Pac-12 and fourth ranked Stanford 13 and two and we are taping right now on a Monday afternoon well those two teams will face off in Palo Alto tonight with huge implications with also huge seeding implications if any of the top two teams, Baylor or South Carolina, were to go down. You think whoever finishes at the top of the Pac-12 could slide up to a one or a two seed. Um, but those two teams really starting to get some separation in the conference. Remarkable matchups going on. So we'll have to check in on Tuesday and see how that one ended up. Three, two, four, the clock is running down. Time to send the fans home happy with a buzzer beater. All right, it's that time for our weekly buzzer beater, where we give you a story, a tip, a memory, something that is a little bit outrageous off the court and provides some flair to the full court press. K.A., it's your week. Go ahead. It's my week. I was pretty last minute shipped off to Atlanta this week, couple days notice off to do a game for the ACC network. So the first thing I learned about Atlanta, at least in the region I was staying in is everything closes down at about three o'clock. I was starving, got to my hotel around three 30, went to go to the corner bakery across the street. It had closed at three, found a Chick-fil-A. It had closed at three. So eventually I 3 p.m. on a Saturday, no food to be had. Eventually, I found a Quiznos. I was the only customer in there. I, I found a Quiznos sub. Um, but then I, I I go to dinner where I, I have two cousins in Atlanta who I met up with. Shout out to Emily and Christian. So we first tried to go to one restaurant where they were having a, they just so happened to be having their 13th anniversary party. It was a, a Mardi <laughs> Gras, beads. It was It was packed. They, my cousin had forgotten her ID, so they didn't even let us go into the restaurant. So now we had to go to another restaurant called Publico in Atlanta, which is a, a taco spot. Okay. Cute atmosphere. So we're all excited. We, you know, we've been waiting a while for the table. We've been waiting to get to the table. And we, the first thing, our eyes light up. We see a trio of salsa, queso, and guacamole. Done. We're ordering that. We order it. We put in some drinks. The waiter comes back. I'm sorry, but we're out of queso and we're out of chips. Oh, come on. That's terrible. <laughs> That's inexcusable. We're in a Mexican restaurant and they're out of queso and out of chips. Well, they better not be out of queso and chips in the final four. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> okay. So lo and behold, we're, you know, disappointed. I'm like, I'm actually kind of heartbroken at this point because when you just have your mind set on. So we get our food. They bring out our tacos. And all of a sudden, a plate of chips appears. Uh-oh. And it, this is from the from the busboy, not our original waiter. We're like, they told us there were no chips. So somehow, I don't know if our waiter got it wrong. 
somehow along the line, we were now being brought our original trio with chips, with queso, with guac, and with salsa. And no one ever knows what really happened, why we were told there was an outage of this. But it all worked out at the end because everything was very good. And they didn't charge us for it with all of the miscommunication. So they also had Jenga. We were playing Jenga there. So just kind of a strange series of events that turned out okay, I suppose. Um, so I don't know if this lives up to your your story from last week with pushing the car and dogs storming the court. But um, that's a little bit of the experience I had in the ATL this weekend. Well, you had an upset there win. Struggles. Yeah, I mean, it's an upset yeah, alone game, for a Mexican. The Me- game was incredible. <laughs> It's an upset alone for a Mexican restaurant to tell you at a moment they don't have chips. I would get up and walk out. I nearly did, but I was just so hungry in that moment, and it was our second restaurant stop. Yeah, that's interesting. Not, not that's very strange, Kim Adams. You, you end up unlucky more times than not. I find, and, and the third, <laughs> the 13th anniversary is very ironic because 13 is such an unlucky. Who celebrates number. a 13th anniversary? Oh, I and don't who, know. Like, with a Mardi Gras theme, yeah, it doesn't make. I don't know much sense. Well, that'll do it for us. Full court press with Fanton Adams, episode three in the books. Thanks to Coach Greg McDermott of Creighton for spending some time with us. We wish him well as March Madness approaches. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Ben Wolfen edits the show, and we always appreciate his contributions. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. And we have Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong. That one drops every Wednesday. Every Thursday, Monica McNutt drops by with buckets, boards, and blocks. On Fridays, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday, and John and I are back every Tuesday with Full Core Press with Fanta and Adam. So please check them all out, download them, rate them, review them, share them, and most of all, we hope you guys enjoy all of these shows, and we can't wait to break it all down with you again next Tuesday on Full Core Press with Fanta and Adams. Full Core Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.